Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Hello, there we go. Okay, cool. So a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of speaking about faith, and more specifically, faith's object. And so I just want to give a a quick recap of that just before I go on. So we, we were talking about faith and, you know, Abraham... In Romans 4, he receives this promise from God that he will receive a son. Um, However, he and Sarah, there's no way they can receive a son because they're both basically in their 90s. And um, but but Abraham sits with two things. He sits with his faith and he has two choices. He either focuses on this promise and tries to achieve it in his own strength, or he looks to the Lord, the one who gave him this promise. And so and that was sort of our main point that we took out was that you see God is a direct object where we put our faith in. The indirect, indirect object we put our faith in is the promise. The promise is never the thing that trumps God. Like the, the promise comes through God. And so, um, and the definition we, we pulled out of Romans 4.21 was the following. And it says, faith is being fully persuaded that what God has promised he alone has the power to perform and adjusting our lives accordingly. So if you don't mind, you can just say that with me. I really want this to sink into our hearts. So faith is being fully persuaded that what God has promised, he alone has the power to perform and adjusting our lives accordingly. Okay, so I just want to, I mentioned this last time, but um, my daily job um, on a normal basis is I'm a video editor. So this means I get a, a great amount of footage and my job is to take all of this footage and cut out the bits and pieces that make sense and essentially um, essentially build a narrative with a focus, right? And so everything that I put into that film, every single thing that I choose for that narrative, I choose for a very specific reason. And it is to guide the viewer's eyes and ears towards the focus of this narrative. And that also means that every single thing that is not applicable to this focus, this overall focus of this narrative, I have to cut. And see, this sometimes is not as easy as just pressing the delete button because it gets personal sometimes. You know, you have a producer, a director, a cinematographer, all of these people that have put effort and time and money into the scene and when we take a step back we're like it doesn't fit but they're like but what about this and this and this you see it can be the most beautiful shot in your entire film it can be the oscar-winning performance but if it does not fit the focus of your narrative it has to cut and that leaves us with the question right so do we keep this this scene um, to keep ourselves happy, to know like, oh, I shot that. You know, that was my, that was my shot. Or do we cut it for the, the overall focus of the film, to save the film, right? And so I'm not going to talk about film's focus this morning, but I am going to talk about faith's focus. And so just before we start, maybe just ask your neighbor, like, what is our faith's focus? And so um, before we look at faith's focus, I just want to maybe just dive into the word focus. You know, it's something that we sort of understand as something that 
um, you know, it's maybe looking at something, but I went and looked at the Greek, and uh, that pronunciation is quite a tongue twister, but it's aphorahu is the way you pronounce it, and the definition means to direct one's attention without distraction, to fix one's eyes trustingly, or to turn one's mind to something. All right, so I just want to read that again. So the definition of focus is to direct one's attention without distraction, to fix one's eyes trustingly, or to turn one's mind to something. So very, very narrow, and that is what focus means. So we're going to look at, I'm going to read two portions of scripture for us. And within these two, two portions, we have two characters and two focuses, but one faith. And we're just going to see how this unravels. And while I read this, please keep this um, definition of focus in mind. Okay, so we're going to start in Matthew 14, verse 24 to 33. And if you are reading with me, it's in the NIV. Otherwise, you can just follow with me on the screen. Right. So, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And so our next portion of scripture is in Romans four eighteen to 21. And this is essentially our theme scripture for the faith topic and we're reading from verse 18 and it says against all hope Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him so shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Okay, so I just want to do an overview of those two scriptures. And we see in Matthew, we have Peter um, exercising faith, right? He gets out of the boat. He walks on water. He actually, like, exercises faith, and his faith sort of pulls through. But then his faith fails. We see in verse 30, it says that when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And in Romans, we have Abraham exercising faith, but his faith is strengthened, right? So what is the difference between these two? Because in Romans, Abraham says, like, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. 
yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. So Abraham is not just the success story, right? This is not just, okay, no, but it's easy. Abraham just succeeded. No, if, if we look at Romans 4, 18 to 20, like Paul writing this to the Romans actually refers to like three times where Abraham had the opportunity to fail. The first one we see is verse 18, and it says, against all hope, Abraham and hope believed. He had all the hope against them. Every little bit of hope that he could hope in was against him, but he still chose to believe in hope. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact, right? So he faced the facts that their bodies were as good as dead, but still he did not weaken in his faith. And then verse 20, he did not waver through unbelief. So even though there was so much space for unbelief, he did not waver. And you see, the phrase I really want to highlight here is the waver through unbelief. Because if we take that phrase and we flip it around, in other words, what we, we see is it says that unbelief comes through wavering. Right? We, we doubt and we have unbelief through wavering. And so I want to just look at this word waver. As we looked at the word focus, I want to look at the word waver. And the Greek of this actually is pronounced diakrino. I'm not going to try and say that again. But the definition of that is to be uncertain, to be at variance or difference with oneself, to hesitate or to doubt. So if we had to ask ourselves, when do we doubt? When, when do we find ourselves in a difficult position where we sort of waver a little bit, like we are indifferent with ourselves? And that's usually when we have options, right? When we, if someone gives you one thing to eat, you don't, you can't say no, you have one thing to eat. But when you walk up to a buffet, you have options. And so, you see, if also in the same way, if I had to give you an old phone, for example, I think I got you a photo. Um, the ones with the roll dial. Oh, there we go. Uh, we don't see those anymore. Um, but if I had to give you that and say, cool, you're allowed to do one thing and one thing only with this phone, you'd laugh at me. Why? Because you can do one thing only, and that's what? To make a call. But if I were to give you an iPhone in your hand, you know, and I were to say, cool, you are allowed to do one thing, but one thing only, that's a little bit more difficult. Because why? We have options. We have multiple options. I mean, have you seen the amount of apps on your phone? Um, you know, so... And then you might even need to be forced to really choose between WhatsApp or Signal, you know. And so, and that's a topic for another day. But, you see, we live in a world with options. We are so, we are so used to the fact that we have options everywhere. Um, and this is very much the same reason Paul was writing to the Romans. Because the Romans were living in a world of options. You see, Yahweh was the only God that demanded our first faith. He demanded our full faith. And in Abraham and Paul's time, different gods and idols were their norm. And it wasn't like you choose one god and you re reject the other. It was like I could believe in all of them at the same time. They had options of faith. And so, you know, it was so bad to such an extent it really like hit me that if you were to move. So 
one city would have a set of gods. And then if you were to move to a different city, you would leave your gods behind and you would adopt their set of gods. Even sometimes if you were to go and visit someone and they were making a sacrifice for one of their gods, you would have eaten some of the sacrifice that was made to their god. And you see, we see all of these things Paul addressed throughout his letters towards the Romans. And you see, why would they choose this? I mean, this sounds confusing to me, but why would they choose to have multiple gods at once? And you see, the the reason for this was that it was a, a way of reducing their risk. It was a way of covering their bases. Because if the one god was angry they would turn to the others. And then when he's not angry anymore, they would turn back to him. You know, they would almost like turn for protection to the other gods from the one god that is angry at them. And, you know, I think, and, and this, is, this is just something that reminds me of something very similar. And uh, it's not something that is in my, um, in my everyday, but it's something I've heard. And it's called... Uh, a mutual fund. And so a mutual fund, for those who are in investing and those type of things, a mutual fund is basically it's a company that pulls money from many investors and invests the money in securities such as stocks, bonds, and short-term debt. So basically, that gives a, a basic of what I'm trying to say. So there's multiple people not investing in one company, but investing in multiples so that when there is one fail of investment, the risk is reduced and you don't feel that knock as hard as you would have if you sort of put all your eggs in one basket, you know? And you see, very much like the Romans, we do the same. We adapt the same model for our faith today, you know, our mutual fund faith. We, we, we say to the Lord, like, okay, Lord, I trust you. You know, like, I, I give you every, all my faith, but in the back of our mind, we're already making calls, or we're already making plans to sort of speed up the process, you know. And, and how many of us are guilty of this? I, I am, you know, where I'm like, okay, Lord, I totally trust you. And then you already start thinking of plans and people who to call, and, and we barely said amen, you know, and you're already on your phone. And... You see, even the, the, the whole, I'm sure you've heard this phrase before, but God helps those who help themselves. You know, <laughs> this is exactly what this is. It's like, and so we, we look at this and you see logic, you might say, but this makes sense, right? Why wouldn't I reduce my risk? Wouldn't the Lord want me to have as less risk as possible? It makes sense. But you see, logic runs after this every single time. We will run after this. It is normal and natural for us to run after this. But you see, the question is, is that, is then, does God really require our full faith? We've maybe heard it before, but is this even like a a biblical concept that God says, like, I require your full faith. I require you to look to me and me only. And you might even ask the question, but like, God can't expect me to just trust him in him alone. Like, that's not possible. And you're right in saying that because the chair you're sitting on at the moment, you're trusting to hold your weight, you know? I mean, people that are looking uh, over the internet, you're trusting the internet to keep the connection of the sermon. You see, and in the same way, 
again, the question comes up, but does the Lord then really require first faith? And we actually see an answer to this in the first commandment, and it's in Exodus 20, verse 1 to 3. And the Lord speaks, and he says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, the, the requirement here is not, the requirement here is to not misplace the faith that is for God alone. He commands our first faith. So the requirement is to not misplace the faith that we have, which is for God alone. And so it, you are right to trust in that chair to hold your weight, but you cannot trust in that chair to be your God. You cannot trust in the internet to give you eternal life. You know, I cannot trust my wife and have faith in my wife to make me happy. I can't. But you see, when we do these things, that is called a misplaced faith. We take the faith that was made for God, and we actually place it in different things. And we say, like, now I'm looking for what God can give only. I'm looking for that from this person or that thing or this. You see, directing our entire focus of our faith to Jesus is the only way we get to benefit from the promises of God. Even like Peter, when he walked on the water, the moment he took his eyes off God, he sank. You see, that, that promise being walking on the water, seeing the supernatural, the moment he turned his eyes, he sank. And you see, even today, and like we, when we think of the Romans, we think like, no, idols, like, you know, small statues that I was bowing before, and it's very different today, but we still, like, our belief is spread so far throughout the Bible and contemporary thinking, we've mixed it to. We don't even know what is the focus of our faith today, you know, and today there is people that love certain truths about Jesus and what he said, but reject the hard things, reject the things that, you know, we don't, that doesn't fit our picture, that doesn't fit our narrative for our lives, you know, we have religions in South Africa that worship Jesus and allows ancestral worship at the same time. And these are hard things. These are difficult things to speak about. You know, we, we live in a society where our partners, our, our careers, our images, our bodies, I mean, if we look how, just how our society is turning right? Everything has become so easy to trust in. Even the comforts of our lives have become such a, a foundation to trust in and to hold on to that we actually like, our trust in the Lord is like a second half of that. We're like, Lord, I trust you, you know, as long as everything else is going well. As long as everything else in my comfort is going the way I want it, I trust you, Lord. And and you see, this is why so many people are turning away from Jesus today, turning their faith or losing their faith in the Lord because in the first place, their focus was never on the Lord. The focus of their faith was never fixed on the eyes of Jesus. And so whatever your focus, whatever you focus your faith on, your faith in it will grow stronger. So I'm going to say that again. Whatever you focus your faith on, your faith in it will grow stronger. So that means, like, if I keep telling myself that 
Let's say, for example, this person hates me. If I put my faith in that, it will grow stronger. And by the end of that, I will be fully convinced that this person hates me. And it might be the opposite. And in the same way with the Lord, when we turn to him and we fix our eyes on him, we grow stronger in him. Right? And so the the question comes up, do we do what Peter did? Do we turn our eyes from the Lord and we focus on the wind and become afraid? Or do we focus on God and our faith becomes stronger and our faith grows? See, early in my walk with the Lord, I, um, I was uh, in a relationship and the relationship was coming to an end. And I was really, uh, you know, I was fasting and praying and begging the Lord for this one thing. You know, like, Lord, save this friendship. Like, I'm begging you, save this friendship. Like, please, please, please. I mean, you know, pulling all the tricks out of the box, like fasting, praying, everything I could think of. And, and I was like, I remember I was having this very intense prayer, you know. And, and I heard the Holy Spirit say something to me. And he said to me, you know you've never called me Father. And it, it, and it quieted me instantly. And I was sort of like searching through my thoughts like, have I never called the Lord Father? Is this true? And I realized that I might have referred to the Lord as a father before. But never have I put my faith in the fact that I am his son and he is my father. You see, like, I did not doubt that the Lord was God. I did not. I did not doubt in my faith that the Lord had 100% the ability and the power to flip this relationship upside down and to save it and pull it out of the fire. I did not doubt that. But I did not believe in the Lord at first, that he, I have relationship with him. So I believed, I believed that, like, Lord, you have the strength and you have the power to be my God, but I do not trust you to tell me what is best for me. From a place of relationship, you see, if we have someone that we are accountable to, we trust them to speak into our lives. We trust them to disagree with us. And in the same way with the Lord, when we trust in him, when we have that faith focused on relationship first, we allow the Lord to start making changes in our lives. And some of us don't. You see, the focus of our faith determines the strength of our faith. I'm just going to say that again. So the focus of our faith determines the strength of our faith. And maybe two questions you can write down and ask yourself these things. Is the focus of our faith on God's power to answer our prayers? Or is the focus of our faith on God to guide us in what to pray? And it should be both. We should trust fully that the Lord is all-powerful in order to trust our, in order to make our prayers become a reality. For the Lord, that it is His heart to answer our prayers. But his heart for us is first to give him full leadership over our lives. That is his heart for us first. And so, you see, even these two points sound very similar, you know. But you see, the one I'm saying is, I trust you, Lord, to do what I ask. In other words, I don't doubt your ability, Lord. But you see, the other one says, like, Lord, I trust in your wisdom for my life. I trust you to tell me 
what to pray for, and then I trust you that what I'm praying for, you will make a way. And so we, we've been speaking about wavering, and we've been speaking, speaking about how easy it is to misplace our faith, how easy it is to take our eyes off Jesus and to look to the waves and become afraid. So I guess the next question is, like, so how do we strengthen our faith? How do we become like Abraham who stood and said like, Lord, even though I'm looking at all these things, I will grow stronger in my faith in you. And so I'm going to go back to verse 19, and it says, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. So some of us might think, but like maybe, maybe Abraham, you know, wasn't maybe challenged with the facts as hard as Peter was. That's maybe why his faith didn't fail. But, you know, verse 19 actually says the opposite. It says that, um, sorry, verse 20 says, no, verse 19 says the opposite that he faced the facts. He faced the facts that his body and Sarah's womb was as good as dead. He faced the facts. But the interesting part before that, it says that without weakening in his faith, he faced the facts. You see, Peter looked at the waves or the wind. Peter looked at the wind and it says, and he became afraid. You see, Abraham looked at the facts and he did not become afraid. It did not affect him. In fact, he did not weaken at all in his faith. It didn't even like make a little dent in his faith. And so, you see, the focus here is everything. Um, you see, Peter saw the facts and was scared. And he wavered. And when do we see the facts of our lives and we waver? Or are we more like Abraham when we see the facts we look to the Lord even more, and we're like, Lord, you know even more how this is possible. You know, and, and so the question again is like, how do we strengthen our faith? And we see this again in verse 20, and it says that, yet he did not waver through unbelief, unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. And you know, this morning when we were worshiping, and we were saying like, we were singing like, God, only you. In worship, we can't focus on anything else except the Lord. And you see, by focusing on God through worship, Abraham strengthened his faith. He gave glory to God. He strengthened his faith by giving glory to God. And sometimes that is all we need to do. It's just like, because that is essentially, we, we don't take responsibility of that. We look to the Lord and we say, Lord, I have no strength for this. I have to worship you. It's all I can do. You know, and, and through worship, Abraham was able to narrow his faith to such an extent you know, that in verse 21, the statement is made about his faith, and it says that he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Fully persuaded. His focus was so, the focus of his faith was so set on God through worship that he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he had the power to perform. And so, 
the question is, how do you test the focus of your faith? You know, how do we know, okay, Lord, I've heard there's wavering and there's strengthening in our faith, and, and all of this is based on the focus of our faith. But where am I at this morning? And so the, the question is, and there's quite a simple way to ask this to yourself, and it says, you know, ask yourself how you react when God doesn't answer your prayer. How do we react when we do not get a certain promise that we are trusting the Lord for? Do we, do we turn our back and we feel betrayed? We feel angry with the Lord? You know, or do we glorify him for something that we know that he is in control for? Do we say, is our heart's response like, Lord, you must know why this didn't happen? Or, Lord, you tell me now what to pray for. This might have been my own effort, but you tell me to pray for, what to pray for. And so, like I mentioned before, in a narrative, we get to this place where we have this scene, these scenes that we have invested so much in our lives in. And you know specifically which scene sits in your life. And, you know, the Lord might be the editor that's like, this doesn't fit the focus of your life. This does not fit in with the narrative that I have set before you. And are we willing to say, Lord, delete. Edit it out. Cut it out. Change my narrative around to the focus that you have for my life. Because why? Because I am focusing my faith on you. I'm trusting you to do what you please. And so... Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and that cloud of witnesses, go read it for yourself, but Hebrews 11 speaks of every single father of faith or pioneer of faith, every single person you have seen in the Bible that you maybe look up to, Hebrews 11 attributes every single one of their victories to faith because they focused their faith individually on God. So Hebrews is speaking about this cloud of witnesses. It says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, so many people of faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes, focusing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And the question comes up again. Are we, are we going to cling to that scene? Are we going to cling to this thing in our life, this sin that easily so entangles us? that holds us static? Are we going to cling to this? Or are we going to fix our eyes on Jesus and say, Lord, remove this out of my life. Like, I don't want to build my own scenario. I don't want to build my own narrative anymore. And this morning we spoke about giving the Lord our first love. Like, will we focus the first, our first faith on the Lord? Will we give him our first faith? 
and say, Lord, you are in focus and nothing else. And so, you see, Jesus has the perfect faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. And he can only perfect it if he has the perfect faith. You see, Jesus conquered the wind and the waves. And he conquered death itself. And he is the one that has the ability to bring life from a dead womb. He is the one that has the ability to make us walk on water. Only through him. Not through our strength. And you see... Jesus is sitting in that place of victory. It says that he conquered. You know, he, he uh, overcame the shame and he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's sitting in a place of victory. And from that place, this Lord, the Lord is just saying this morning, and I just really felt the Lord wanted to speak to every single one of us this morning. If we can put ourselves in Peter's shoes, we're standing in that boat and the Lord says, it is I have courage. You know, and then he says, like, Lord, if you want me to walk on water, tell me to come. And the Lord's like, come. The Lord did not encourage him. The Lord did not say to him, okay, do it this way or anything like that. You see, there is not a lot of requirement. The Lord's saying, like, don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on your sin. Focus on me. Look to me this morning. And... And you, you might even feel that, you know, but like there's so much death in my life. The Lord is the one that can bring our narratives from a story of death to a story of life. And, you know, if you have never made that step before, if you are maybe someone that has never gotten out of that boat, like I urge you to listen to that call this morning where the Lord says, come and get out of the boat and look to him. And even for those who might have grown weary, those who have gotten out of, the, out of the boat, you know what it's like to walk on water. You know what it's like to look at Jesus in the midst of a storm and walk on water. You know what it's like. You've experienced Jesus himself. You know what it's like. But you have come to a place of wavering. You have come to a place of looking at the winds and not being strengthened, but actually sinking. And I really feel the Lord is, what is so amazing, Matthew says that immediately the Lord reached out and said, why, oh you of little faith, why did you doubt? And you see, Peter doubted in no one else but in Jesus. That's who he doubted in. His focus was not in, on Jesus. And so Hebrews 11 says it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please him without faith. And as a church and for me as an individual, like, I want to please the Lord. I want to chase after him. You know, and I really want to throw off everything that hinders me from following fully. I want to get every single bit of sin out of my life that might keep me static in any way. Because he deserves it all. He sits in the place of victory. And so I want to run the race that he picked out for me. Not the one I think is good. The one he picked out for me. And I want to run it with perseverance. And focusing on the one who's already won. So I just, can we just respond to that? And I just 
want to pray for us. And, you know, they were the first question we asked this morning was, Lord, what is the focus of my faith? And you are the only one that can ask the Holy Spirit that morning, this morning. What is the focus of my faith? And whether you are saved or not, like, that is a question you can still ask. Like, what is the focus of my faith? Am I looking to Jesus fully in my daily life? Do I walk in that faith? Is my faith strengthened? Or am I looking at the wind and I waver and I'm actually very much busy busy sinking? So, Lord, we want to come to you this morning, Lord. And, Lord, humbly we want to lay our hearts before you. And, Lord, we want to repent, Lord, of any way that we have looked away from you, that we have not made eye contact with you, Lord. Lord, as a church and as individuals, Lord, we want to walk in the full faith, Lord, of knowing that we are in relationship with you. We don't want to We don't want to follow you for your hand, Lord. We want to follow you for your heart, Lord. Because it is beautiful, Lord Jesus. We want to direct every single bit of strength, every single bit of focus we have, we want to direct towards you, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us by ourselves, Lord. But you reach out your, your hand to us this morning and you're looking with us with so much grace and saying, why did you doubt in the first place? And Lord, I want to pray for those who have grown weary, Lord. Those who have been tired, Lord, running this race. I pray, Lord, that you would redirect their focus and that we would be able to run this race with endurance again. Looking to you, Lord the one who gave us the ability to believe, but also the one who perfects that faith, Lord. We just commit that to your hands, Lord. And if, if, you, if anyone just needs some prayer this morning, um, especially the people that are here this morning, like please stay behind. There will be prayer. But I really want to urge you not to let this opportunity go past. And we just focus our eyes on him. And we just really see what he actually endured for us on the cross. What he must have gone through. And it says that it was a joy that was set before him. It was his good pleasure to bring us into relationship with him and the Father. Lord, we want to thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.